Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 68. This week, we will be be starting our two-part series on the best duos. This week, we'll be doing the best movie duos. Uh, So, pairings on screen of kind of buddy cop, but just pairings in general. And next week, we'll follow it up with best TV duos, which I think, I don't know about you, Josh, but I think that may actually be the longer list for me. It is. I actually, um, when I was making this list to, uh, today, we, and you, we have a lot of, almost like 90% crossover, um, but I, I, when I was making the list, I kept, you know, duos kept coming to mind, and I would be like, yeah, oh, that one, I love that, oh, but that's TV, oh, but I love that, oh, but that's TV, like, dang it. Yeah, I have a lot for TV. I initially thought about doing this as one episode, but I'm like, "Mm, it's best to split this up across two. Yeah, Um, I think part of that, honestly, is just because there's more time to tell that story between the two two characters on TV. Exactly. Uh, Which I, just thinking ahead, I think our TV list will also be very, very similar. Uh, I, I actually wouldn't be surprised as well. There might be a few ones that I have that you won't, but I, I think it'll be pretty similar as well. Same. Uh, Josh, how are you doing this week? I'm I'm hanging in there, man. It's there's a lot got some personal stuff going on in the background, but um, Degum is wrestling picking up right now. Uh, Holy crap! <laughs> I had like no expectations for that rumble, but it was so good. Oh, dude, totally. But also like career wise, like it's picking up like my, my buddy Hearn, um, we, Hearn, Hearn, it's short for um, actually everyone go look up El Silencio. He's that's my buddy. He's, uh, he won his first title last night. So uh, the night of the rumble, I mean, yeah. So the last night, anyway, but yeah, so it was, it was cool. Like he and I were driving back from the show, um, like watching it on on his phone, it was it was, and that that was a fun experience as well. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I was watching it in chunks. Um, yeah, surprisingly good show. When WWE's back is to the wall, that's when they do their best shows. So either that or they pull put put Paul Heyman in charge. One of the two. Well, he's not perfect. ECW. Um, also, we true. don't actually have a lot of news topics to go over this week. Um, but there's still some stuff we're talking about. Before we get into any of that, um, I said that I was going to see this movie on last week's episode, and I did. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Um, I will say, I don't think, at least for me personally, it really lived up to the hype that everyone put it on. Of like Everyone's like, this is the best movie of the year. This is the best movie Taiko Titi's ever made. This, 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 and this. I walked away, I was just like, it's definitely one of the better movies I've seen recent memory. Um, but this is also coming back off the back of 1917, which I still think is one of the most incredible films I've ever seen. Um, Jojo Rabbit, it was it was good. It was um, Taika Waititi's most emotionally powerful film, but it's hard not to have a World War II film be emotionally powerful. Um, it's a good balance of humor and heart. Like, I told Heather when I came out of the theater, at times, some of the humor kind of feels Family Guy-esque, but in a teaching sort of way. Of okay. Whenever they do, like, really dark humor, I feel like they do it with a purpose and a reason. Um, it's not, like, shock value like Family Guy would do it. It's, like, some of these jokes are shocking, but then again, the 
Taika Waititi has said in interviews, the best way to combat evil is to make fun of it. And that was kind of what they're going for with um, Jojo Rabbit. Also, okay. I know the marketing for the movie is... There's an imaginary... Uh, Jojo's got an imaginary friend, Hitler. Hitler's actually not in the movie nearly as much as the movie advertises. Um, it's also not as funny as I was expecting. It goes for a more emotional route. Um, don't get me wrong. Okay. There's still some really, really funny scenes. This movie also, for a PG-13 movie, has one of, if not the best use of the one single-use F-bomb I've ever seen in a movie, except for maybe um, X-Men First Class. The way that they use their wow. one F-bomb that they're allowed is just pitch perfect. Um, I don't think Scarlett Johansson will win for Marriage Story in her nominations, but I would very much like to see her win for Jojo Rabbit. She is... This is honestly the best performance I've seen her give was in Jojo Rabbit. She was so likable and it's some of the most emotionally powerful scenes are involving her and without dipping too much into spoilers, shoelaces will never be the same. Uh, But to me, the real standout of the movie was Sam Rockwell's character. Sam Rockwell, again, proving that he's one of the most overlooked actors out there. He is a washed up Nazi that trains up and coming Nazis who like got hit or something in combat. So apparently he's only got one good eye and he's like, apparently according to Hitler, I can no longer shoot. So I must train the new ones to shoot. Um, But he kind of feels like a Wes Anderson character, but he, his character has more complexities of him and his, let's just say very, very close sergeant that works with him. Um, Their characters are some of the most interesting and well-rounded of they may start to question why they are with the alliances that they are. Um, This movie like tries to have a really good message. And I think at the end of the day, it does. It was not nearly as funny as I was expecting. Maybe that's more me and my expectations. I was expecting Ragnarok level humor, but it's not a Ragnarok type movie. It's still very, this was kind of the world at the time. Um, it's a very good movie. I would still encourage people to see it. I just didn't dig it as much as some other people have. That being said, it is still a really, really good and well-made movie. It just wasn't to the level that I was expecting it to be. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, one of those, maybe a case of you accidentally overhyped it kind of thing. I I don't know. Maybe it's like, I've liked Taika Titi's movie so far. I've liked, I thought What We Do in the Shadows was much funnier. Um... And I liked Ragnarok more, but uh, maybe I was just expecting something different. Um, it was still really, really, really good, though. And I could, I can absolutely see why it's getting the nominations that it deserves. Some of the performances are excellent. So I'd say, Josh, when when you can find it, like uh, Redbox or whatever, I'd definitely say check it out. If nothing else, for Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell alone. Um, there's certain moments with Sam Rockwell that almost broke me of bursting into tears in the theater. It's hard to watch, but in a good way. Yeah. Oh, by the way, for anybody that is looking for it, um, I'm probably going to end up seeing Parasite tomorrow. I might too. I think it's on Redbox tomorrow. It's either that or like it's in a theater near me. Oh, is it? I didn't realize that it's only 20 minutes. What? Yeah. It's a 20-minute long film. That can't be right. Bro. I mean, I'll, I haven't. I need to look into it. But I'll when look I was into it after the show. That doesn't sound right. 
when I when I uh, went to the theater, all the times were at twenty minute intervals, and it said like th- this movie is only like twenty minutes long or whatever. Weird. Which, if it's honestly, I'm 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 gonna Google it live here, real quick. But um, if it really is only twenty minutes long, and it's getting the nomination that it's nominations that it is, bro. Interesting. Um, also, it is not in our okay, news. Yeah, that's it's a, that's a lie. It's two hours and twelve minutes. That's what I thought. I was like, what? Best picture nominated movie is gonna be twenty minutes. I mean, okay, that's weird. Okay, maybe something's going. Something was weird then. Um, also, uh, I didn't want to devote a full news topic to this because it's we've covered this enough, and this is more or less just kind of confirmation of some things that we've already known. Um, but we have some late breaking news as this was just announced a few hours ago. Uh, Matt Reeves has taken to social media to officially announce that the Batman has started principal photography, which means. The new Batman movie is now officially shooting. They're rolling cameras. Yeah, boy. That's exciting, man. Uh, Now, before we move into our main uh, news topics, just off the top of your head, Josh, do you actually think this movie is going to be called The Batman, or do we think that's the working title, like what the production team is calling it for the time being until it gets an actual title? Um, Honestly, I can see it being both. I don't have a problem with it being called the Batman. Oh no, I don't either. Um, I think it sets it apart a little bit from the other films. Um, I also just don't know what you what else you would call it. I guess year one, maybe, maybe. But then that that would make people assume that you're going to pull from that storyline. True. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I. I wouldn't be upset if the Batman is. I think that's just kind of what we've called it for a while. I don't think that'll be what we what the final name is. That's just kind of the name we've been giving to it so far. Yeah, I I, w- I agree, and I, I mean it does have a certain kind of mystery to it of the Batman. You know what I mean? So I mean, who who knows? And I say with by this time next month, by the end of February, we will have our first official look at the bat suit, and it will be blue. I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. All righty. Let's get into some news. Oh, I don't really want to get into the news right now, but we must. Um, we must I, do what we must for the culture. So I say I don't really want to get into the news because, so, forewarning, I've already taken my ibuprofen, my Tylenol, whatever, to help the headache that I'm about to have after this epic rant that I'm about to go on. Oh, boy. So, I'm going to start off calm. I got some R-rated dialogue, but I'm going to keep it PG. I'm going to keep it PG for those I believe Fat you. Liar fans. Um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, announced for Disney+, Plus, um, has officially been put on indefinite hold by Lucasfilm, meaning um, they're going back to the drawing board with the scripts and any of the production crew has been sent home indefinitely with no time of when they will come back. Interesting. Um, before I explode like rage from inside out, um, Josh, what are your thoughts on this? I'm going to try to take a positive light from this and say that they care about the project enough that they want to get it right. 
But on the other hand, with a project this big, why announce it if you're not ready? Okay. Deep breath. (sighs) No, I don't think you get it. How mad I am about this. Not just because it's Obi-Wan. But yeah. because Lucasfilm, you freaking inconceivable morons and liars. Liars, I tell you. I don't know what specifically you lied about. You lied about something. So why do I call them liars? Because flash your mind back to August. We covered everything that got broken down at D23. Kathleen Kennedy, the incredible moron that she is, completely bungles every single Star Wars project that we've gotten ever since they announced that Disney acquired them, except for maybe Force Awakens. That went off without a hitch. She got on stage at D23 and was like, all right, we have an Obi-Wan series. We rejoice. That was good news. We have Ewan McGregor back. He comes out on stage. Great. But not just that. She takes this stage and says, we have all the scripts done for Obi-Wan. All the episodes are written and done. We're shooting them in the summer, which made me think, okay, they know the story that they're going with. They already have everything mapped out. They're probably just waiting for everything, all the actors and everything to be available, and then they'll film. That just sounds right. So where at this point did you lie to us? Because if you've had these quote-unquote scripts done since freaking August, and you're just now realizing that they may not be okay to shoot, where, what's the, you either lied to us in August when you said the scripts were done or you lied to us when you said now that we need to go back and retool it. So what, what's going on? Did you not notice that something was wrong in the months and months that you've had these scripts done? Like what's going on here? And the fact that we can't get a single, not a one Star Wars project to go off without some kind of a hitch at some point. Can we not just have a production that goes off normally? Every single choice that Kathleen Kennedy has made at Lucasfilm has gone so piss poor. I don't get it. I made this analogy not too long ago, and I'm going to reiterate it here. Say you're at a job and you make a mistake. The first time you make that mistake, your manager or whoever's in charge of you is going to take you aside Tell you what, if they're a good manager, they'll take you aside, explain the error that you made, and make sure that you don't make that mistake again. If you keep making that same mistake, you will eventually get in trouble. You'll get reprimanded. After that, guess what happens? You don't have that job anymore. I don't get how Kathleen Kennedy still has her job. You keep making the same idiotic mistakes time and time again. And I don't just get this mad because it's Obi-Wan. Honestly, I'd get this mad if it was any other Disney project with Star Wars because it's not like if this was the first time this Obi-Wan thing got pushed back or a Disney, a Star Wars project had any complications, I'd be much more forgiving. But this is like our fifth freaking time in as many years. It's been the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been going for 11 years and has lost less directors than Star Wars has in five years. Like, what is the deal with this company? What is she doing? Why is she still employed? If I'm Bob Iger, there's no doubt about it. She's not making it to the end of her term. Clearly, she's not communicating with the people below her. If she doesn't know 
how to properly manage a studio, then you need to get rid of her. It's that simple. It's any job place of, okay, you're making some early mistakes. Um, the Josh Trank thing didn't work out with the Boba Fett movie. May not have been her fault, but that could have been handled better. The Rogue One situation could have been handled better. That's strike two. Um, Last Jedi and the fandom. She could have kept a better eye on that of having it maintained in the same vision of Force Awakens. That was another strike. But we can let that one pass. Solo, that's on her all the way. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, that's on her for not having a clear vision of what they wanted. And it's just so incredibly frustrating. Now it seems like not only do we not know when this, if at all, if the show will come back, now there's rumors that the show may be cut down from six episodes to four episodes. And I'm just going, wait, no, no, no. It's one thing that you delayed a project that people have been wanting and asking and begging for for years so that instead you can give us a stupid solo movie that no one asked for and bombed and you blame the fans for it because you said... Well, the fans just didn't show up for it. No, we told you. We didn't want Solo. We wanted Obi-Wan, and you didn't give it to us. Now, you give it to us, and then you rip it away because it's just not living up to our par. Is it, or is it not living up to Kathleen Kennedy's par? Because also some rumors that I've heard is the story of the Obi-Wan series was a little too similar to The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is incredibly successful for them right now. What's the problem of copying that success? And there was rumors, just rumors, that it would have been Obi-Wan looking out for both Luke and Leia, which, um, no, no, a thousand times no. Leia is supposed to have no contact with Obi-Wan. That's the whole point of splitting up the twins to begin with. It's just so frustrating, the lack of any form of direction. I don't get it. It's time and time again, it's the same mistakes. It's hiring the wrong people to do the wrong job, and even if you like it, you're clearly not on the same page with them, that you fire them super late into the game. It's, she's ill-prepared for this. And if I'm in charge of Disney, like Iger, she's not coming back. She's wasted time after time after time to fit what she thinks would be a good Star Wars mold, and she clearly doesn't know how to manage a bigger universe, and it's so incredibly frustrating that you put this thing on hold. You literally dangle the carrot in front of fans of, well, someday you'll get Star Wars, someday you'll get Obi-Wan, and then just keep stringing people along. If you keep doing that, people will leave. And honestly, I'm not leaving Star Wars anytime soon because I'm a fan, but I'm seeing the interest for Star Wars drop off dramatically, and it's unfortunate, and I have to point the finger at her. It's really difficult, but it's absolutely stuff that she's brought on herself. The Star Wars franchise in the next couple of years is definitely going to need to go into damage control. And uh, this is one franchise even more so than anything else with the Obi-Wan thing. People just want this. Just, just deliver it to us. I think actually what we had before was probably pretty solid, but it didn't fit into what Kathleen Kennedy wanted for Star Wars. So therefore, we don't get it. It's not a collaboration with her. It's what I want is what happens. And that shouldn't be what it is. The Star Wars original trilogy is a collaboration between George Lucas and those around him. When he had absolute power, we got the prequels. She answers to no one except for Iger, and she needs to go. Hallelujah. Holy crap. Where's the Tylenol? <laughs> Dang, man. I have thoughts, man. Yeah, he did. I, uh, no, and I mean, I, I kind of 
said the same thing, but in fewer words, I guess. Uh, it's and bless you. For it's that. frustrating to have conversations with people that are like, I would be fans of Star Wars, but sometimes it's just so we. It's like it's hard to be fans, and like I get that. Like the fact of the matter is, like something that you and I talked about uh, briefly this week was how through conversations with you and a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, realizing that Kylo Ren is the best character in the whole Star Wars Skywalker trilogy uh, series. And it's almost like accidentally that they made him. Yeah, because I mean, like it's all Adam Driver, man. I mean, dude, I mean, you I feel for him more because. I mean, Anakin's just a whiny little butthead. Luke is too proud and too confident for his own good. As also much started as out as a whiny butthead. Exactly. But Kylo, like, he's legit just reacting to the world that is presented to him. His master and uncle tried to kill him. And he's like, well, I guess that means I'm dark side. And then he's trying to be dark side. And he's like, this is clearly not who I am. I don't know what to do, but I'm kind of stuck in this rut, uh, stuck in this door. So I might as well, you know, take it all the way. And so he kills his dad and then that eats him up. So it's like he's he's easily and then just the re- the reser- the uh, all the good that he co- he comes about through him coming back to the to, you know, the right side and, and rise of Skywalker. He's he's just the best. I, I like Kylo so much. But it, again, like you said, it's on accident. It's like they don't quite realize who their core characters should be I've, it's hard not to compare it to Marvel because they're run by the same company and one successful and one is losing its fans quickly but the thing is with Marvel you can tell at the end of the day that the MCU is made by people that love the source material and the person in charge of everything pays attention to the little details and the little details add up quickly people's favorite things about Marvel isn't the grand action set pieces. It's the little character interactions. It's the little touches. And with Kathleen Kennedy, I have never thought that she's a Star Wars fan. She's an executive first. I always felt like every single one of the Star Wars movies, even the ones that I like, always feel like, what is the safest and most stockholder-friendly options that we can do for Star Wars? Yeah, it... mm. Like, can we put John Favreau and Dave Filoni in charge, please? Or at least somebody with appreciation for the lore, an appreciation for varieties of Star Wars and making something, be willing to take risks, try things, and not cancel people or cancel projects just because they're not matching up to what you personally want. Yeah. It's Somehow, our next story, I'm not nearly as mad about. But then again, I don't think it's possible for me to be any more mad than I am currently. So, um, I'm surprised this hasn't been announced already. But Captain Marvel 2 has officially been announced by Marvel. I, I could have sworn it was announced earlier, but I guess not. Um, I made no qualms about the fact that I hate the first Captain Marvel. It is one of the worst MCU movies so far. It is so disjointed. Brie Larson is such an uninteresting lead. And some people will be like, you're sitting there because she's what? No, it's not anything to do with gender. It's that all the characters in the movie keep telling her, you got to keep your emotions in check. The woman doesn't emote, period, in that movie. 
and the timelines bounce around all the time of weird flashbacks that don't really make sense. I, I don't like the first Captain Marvel. That being said, I will give the MCU the benefit of the doubt of more often than not in the MCU, save for Iron Man and maybe Thor, the sequels is really where characters come into their own for the MCU. Yes. Of, I'll be honest, Captain America, by the end of Endgame, well, by the end of Winter Soldier, really, he's my favorite Avenger. But after the first movie, he was by no means my favorite Avenger. Um, I think after the first Captain America, I liked Iron Man more than I liked Captain America and how, how much things have changed over time. Um, case in point, I like but don't love the first Doctor Strange. I think it's it's fine. But I like Doctor Strange more as a character with more appearances. Like, I really liked him in Infinity War, really liked him in Endgame. So it makes me more excited for In the Multiverse of Madness, if it ever actually ends up happening and we get a new director for it. So while I hated Captain Marvel, I'm a bit more optimistic about a sequel because with more appearances, the actors kind of find their groove more. That's assuming Disney doesn't replace her. Um, because from all the reports I've heard, she kind of butt heads with just about everybody. Um, yeah, but I know they have such a big future dependent on Captain Marvel and Kevin Feige likes the character of Captain Marvel and wants her to succeed. So I think they're going to put a lot of energy into Captain Marvel too. I, I am optimistic. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Josh, what do you make of Captain Marvel too? Well, I haven't seen the first one yet. Lucky. <laughs> Mostly because I had no desire to. Um, but I, I, I would agree with your point that I started to like characters more the more I saw them. I think the only character I liked right away was Thor for me. Like, Iron but Man was again, cool. Thor had a rough patch. Exactly. It had a, he had a rough patch. It was tough. tough. I, I uh, Dark World was really rough to watch. It's um, so I don't even think the Dark World is bad. It's definitely to me one of the worst MCU movies. But it's I always say it's the perfect airplane movie. Watch it once, forget it. Yeah, it's it's not it's not the it's not what it could have been because it, it deals with some really big things and it should have been a bigger deal. It was supposed um, to be because Patty Jenkins was supposed to direct it, but then. They let her walk due to creative differences, and she walked straight to DC and did something much better. Exactly. And Marvel went, oh, crap. Yes. But, I mean, sure. If, you're, if, if, this is the, if that's your, your character you want to build your future around, then you got to do something with him. And I don't want Brie Larson to feel like she has to fit a certain mold, but... Is it just me or so far in all the scenes with the rest of the Avengers, she kind of sticks out like a sore thumb of like, um, just the bump on the log of just like everyone quips, has fun, gets along, has good chemistry. And she's the one always that just seems like she's got her arms crossed, frown on her face, not happy to be there. Yeah. And even like when in the final battle of Endgame, she sticks out to me because it's like, okay, well, why don't you just take everybody out? Because you're obviously not, like, affected by these people. Like, why is this even being, why is this even a battle right now? 
Yeah. I, I want to like Captain Marvel because I want to like all the characters. It's just that, I don't know, I was so turned off by that first one and the character of Captain Marvel was so frustrating at times. But I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. I want to like a Marvel movie. I always want to like any movie. Uh, but it's it's up in the air for me. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It's going to be just very interesting to see Marvel post-Endgame of like, did we peak? Our, it's just going to be the interesting hangover effect, I think, of especially with Black Widow coming out. Will there be, now that we're not building towards anything, in the near future at least, what's it going to look like for Marvel? How does that impact Captain Marvel 2, Black Widow, and the Multiverse of Madness? Stuff like that. That's just interesting things to think about. Maybe that maybe that needs to be a discussion that we have at some point. Yeah, where where do you go from that, from here? Especially yeah. if movies start to fail. Well, if it's anything like what Disney's doing, just reboot it in animated form. Just do an inverse of what Disney's been doing, which is taking their animated stuff and rebooting it into live action. Uh, so we have not one but two that I think are super odd choices, to say the least. Uh, we will be getting a live-action remake of Bambi and a live-action remake of Pinocchio. Oh, uh, man, uh, I can't wait to watch Bambi's mom die in live-action right in front of me. I choose to believe that Bambi exists in the same world as Iron Giant. Um, Think about okay. it, man. Okay. but like it, it at least it a little just, bit better. Uh, I, We've already have we've had a live action Pinocchio in the in the past. Not from it, Disney. Okay, fine, but the that thing didn't is, make any make it any less creepy. Yeah, Pinocchio is one of those like public domain ones. That's why a lot of Disney's animated stuff at when they first started off, like Snow White, Cinderella, were all public domain stuff because they didn't have to license it out to anybody else. Um, but. I don't mind a Pinocchio one. It, to me, Pinocchio was never one of my favorites. It's always, in the terms of the old school, like Walt Disney made Disney movies, Pinocchio was always the redheaded stepchild, the one that stood out like a sore thumb because it was really dark and twisted for a while of like, yeah. you had, yes, you had evil witches and whatnot, but you didn't have child slavery and children literally be turning into jackasses. Yeah, it, it's mm, it's rough, and you think, and me personally, there's I, I have to remind myself that there's more move, more movie after that mo that scene, that little section of the story. Like he still goes and gets trapped in the in the in the whale after that. Which like, that whale uh, in and of itself is terrifying. Yeah, like there's so much really weird stuff that happens. It, it's just a weird movie nonetheless at least with the pinocchio one we have an actual director attached to it for now until kathleen kennedy fires him um we have robert zemeckis if that name sounds familiar to you it's the same guy that did the back to the future trilogy which we will talk about the back to the future movies in a little bit here for our discussion um robert zemeckis to me he was a good name he's a bit spotty recently though um Yes, Back to the Future is great, and I liked Polar Express as a kid. Watching it now is kind of terrifying. Oh, it's it's spooky. Like, 
The that CGI has not aged well on Bowler Express. No, it has not. It is uncomfortable. So he he is a good director. I still would have liked it if he was the one directing the Flash movie because it just would have been on a cool throwback. I feel like that's a little bit more concrete than this Bambi thing. Uh, I will still... Bambi, to me, is one of those just like, I'll believe it when I see it. When cameras are actually... Well, cameras can't roll for this one because it's probably all CGI like Lion King was. Um, yep. I don't know. I think there's more to Pinocchio than there is for Bambi, but that could just be me. I always just thought Bambi, and maybe it's because I didn't watch Bambi a lot. I always thought that Bambi didn't really have a story. It was, it felt more like a cobbled together collection of just short adventures that Bambi had. Like there wasn't a long narrative. Yeah. At least Pinocchio had some form of a narrative. Yeah, it's mm, not a good I, one, I, but I feel. Yeah, I feel about the same, unfortunately. Now, this may be a horrible thing to do to the world, given the fan base that would probably see it, but you know how we haven't had a good Robin Hood movie in 20 years? I mean, but didn't you just, like, like get super frustrated about the constant uh, iterations of Robin Hood? Yes, but... What if Disney did a live-action remake of their animated uh, one with the fox? Oh yeah, you think they? You think they'd have the balls to do that? I would watch the crap out of that because that Robin Hood was my jam as a kid. It'd be as close to Redwall as I'd ever be able to get. So I would. I would actually be more okay with that. Of all the ones that would be like, live action remake is coming. I don't know why, but I never felt like Robin Hood got the credit it deserved. I really like Robin Hood. And I think it would be a cool idea of take a spin on the classic Robin Hood story. Make the Robin Hood story, except just make it a live action version of the animated one. So you got a fox as Robin Hood. You've got the wolf as the sheriff of Nottingham. Baloo as Little John. Which... Ruined my day when I discovered that Little John from um, Robin Hood is just recycled animations from the Jungle Book. Yep. I was just like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's just recycled in a lot of the older movies. Oh, at least it's not like Hanna-Barbera level of recycled. No, bro. Well, our last one is, again... Um, more announcements, but more shuffling of schedule. So this year, weekly Uncharted movie update. Um, however, it may look bad on paper. I'm actually optimistic about this, and not just because I called this in our 2020 predictions episode. Um, so the Uncharted movie has been pushed from December of this year to three months later. Uh, so it'll be coming out March 2021. Um, it will be taking up the movie slot that was previously reserved for a live-action He-Man Masters of the Universe movie, which but apparently has been yeah, taking off the schedule entirely. Huh? Because everybody was clamoring for that He-Man. Also, it was entirely miscast. I saw a picture of the dude that they were going to play He-Man, and it was almost like a character from Riverdale of like a average, good-looking, like but very physically small guy. There's only one guy that can play He-Man, and his name is Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> okay. Um, 
But yeah, He-Man is off the calendar completely. It didn't get bumped back to some later date. It's off completely. Um, and I, I share the same thought of, as you. I don't see the need for a He-Man movie. But this is some coming from someone that didn't grow up watching He-Man. I know quite a few people that love He-Man. I remember in college, one of my roommates, I bought them for their birthday, the entire first season of He-Man and Masters of the Universe. Um, I think the concept could be really, really cool for a live-action form. Um, completely forgetting about the Dolph Lundgren movie. But yeah. this was not a movie that needed to be made. The Masters of the Universe movie has had a more troubled production history than the actual Uncharted movie, uh, which going back to that, I actually am of the opinion that this is a positive because I know this movie's been delayed time and time again. Actors have left, directors have left, and it keeps getting pushed back and back and back. This is my prediction. I think this release date is going to stick. They didn't push it out super, super far of just like, well, we're we're going to move it to summer of 2021 or Thanksgiving or Christmas of 2021. They just bumped it back three months, which to me means we actually have our pieces in place. It is just an availability thing, which if they're trying to meet the 2020 release of this year, I can absolutely get because Tom Holland has to film those Spider-Man movies at some point in the near future. And those will require a lot more CGI than an Uncharted movie, which is more practical stuff. At least I would hope. Um, so he would need to do his stuff relatively soon. So the fact that they only bumped it back three months kind of makes me think that they're actually telling the truth when it is a scheduling issue and they're actually are very close to starting this movie. And I've been of the opinion more or less since they announced this movie that when they said it was coming out December, I have always thought that was a wrong place to put this movie. I've always thought that an Uncharted movie not unlike a Tomb Raider movie, which I do believe came out in March when it first came out, is a perfect March movie. March is, it's one of those, we don't have enough confidence to put this in a summer, like a summer blockbuster, but we're also not totally ashamed of this movie, like a January release of, okay, this is a medium budget movie that we expect medium return on. And if it does well, the sequel can be a summer movie. Um, Case in point, the first Lego movie came out in February. So that was a medium budget movie that blew up and the sequel came out in the summer. So this Uncharted movie that Sony, I'm sure, is aware of the issues that they've had with it. They want to play it safe, as safe as they can. And I feel like they actually have their ducks in a row. They're getting their last pieces lined up before they move out. And I actually think that this release date is going to stick but I've also thought from the get-go that this was the date that they should have had all along, um, which is why I put it on my predictions. So I was right about something. Uh, Josh, what do you think about this movie? You think it's a big thing, not a big deal? How do you think about this project as a whole? I'll believe it when I see a trailer. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't blame you there. Because, cause yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like, it's just, it's so much has happened for this film. It's just, it, anything could happen. And honestly, I, like, I'm just, I'm not going to believe it until I see a trailer. Fair enough. Um, well, that'll bring us to our sponsor for this week. Uh, I'll go off the top of my head, and I don't think it's changed at all this month, but... We'll go with the Nathan Drake collection on the PS4. It's the free game this month for PS Plus 
for PlayStation Plus users, which includes Josh. I know. I just, I actually just, just added it to my, my library. Let's just say it's free. It's free 99. They're a great trilogy that hopefully inspire great movies, but we'll see about that. Um, So in the Uncharted games, you've got, Nathan Drake and Sam Drake, if you're playing the fourth one. But most of the original trilogy, it's Nathan Drake teaming up with his mentor, Sully. They make a great duo that hopefully we can breathe life into them as a great duo on big screen. Well, that got us thinking. On this podcast, we typically have a two-man crew. I just like two-man crews better. I'm not opposed to three-man crews, but I, I like the chemistry that Josh and I have. We work well together. We're a good duo. But it got me thinking about the best duos out there in the world of movies and TV. Because if you got a good duo, it can really make your movie work. So, we're going to talk about that today with some of our favorite movie duos. Yeah, boy. And this was a this was actually, I think, one of the first times in history that, of the podcast at least, that our lists are all basically identical. Like, I only have one different than you. And I actually had to remind you of that one. I just I know, know you that which is well. really sad. I know Josh better than Josh knows Josh. Well, yeah, because Josh doesn't always pay attention to Josh. Also, Josh has been dropped on his head too many times, and Josh doesn't always know who Josh is. Wait, who's Josh again? Exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll open it up, obviously, with the one that is most near and dear to my heart, because they're... Some of my longest-term movie friends of all time, and unfortunately, in 2019, this duo had to part ways and say goodbye, but in a nice fitting send-off as one of them got to live out the life that they wanted so badly, Buzz Lightyear and Woody, whatever Woody's last name is, I, I guess. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Alan. Woody Allen? Really? <laughs> I'm going to go with Woody's owner's name and go with Davis. Okay, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, Because, yes, I'm that much of a Toy Story diehard that I know Andy's last name is Davis. Well, yeah, you're you're kind of a big nerd, so. I grew up with Toy Story. I've said that story a thousand times. Um, Woody and Buzz are just, it's a great thing that they were the opening characters for Pixar to introduce to the world when Pixar started doing movies because there's just that sense of, familial connection, at least for me, with Buzz and Woody, of you just immediately connect with them, you love them. And I know Disney would try and replicate that success uh, later with another honorable mention duo of Mike and Sully from Monsters, Inc. Um, They don't resonate with me nearly as much, but I still like Mike and Sully. Uh, It's just something about Buzz and Woody. Their chemistry, they grow together as a pair, which I really enjoy because, frankly, the older I get... Woody's kind of a jerk in the first Toy Story. Uh, not even kind of. Like, he's very prominently a, a jerk. Like, there's no reason for him to be as negative as he is to Buzz. Except for, I'm a jealous toy guy. But then he grows throughout the movie and becomes a really good, evolved character. As both of them grow. Um, I like that the first one is almost a Woody movie, and then the second one is equally about both of them, basically. Uh, Woody's got his own journey, and Buzz has got his own journey. Um, But their journeys are always intertwined, and 
they've always got such a good dynamic. I've always loved Woody and Buzz. They're a good group that work together. And their send-off of them parting ways, I thought was just really, really well done. I know some people are just like, I don't want to see Toy Story 4. 3 had a perfect ending. Don't think of 4 as a sequel to 3. Think of it as an epilogue to 3. Yeah, because to me, and I do like how 4 ended, it's fine. I'll accept it. I think three just made meant more to me than uh, four ever could. Three is Woody saying goodbye to us as an audience because we are Andy. Four is Woody saying goodbye to his friends like Buzz. It's a different type yes. of goodbye. Yeah. Um. Now, I'll go with another big name one that it's I've been with basically just as long as I've been with Woody and Buzz, but on a completely different end of the spectrum, this is probably, if not the most iconic duo slash pairing in movie history, Han Solo and Chewbacca. Yeah, boy. Oh, man. And spoiler alert for Rise of Skywalker, Chewie finally got its medal, and I popped real hard for that. Oh, totally. Um, it's... it's- it's really funny how they they really could have just given some reason why Solo always knows what Chewie's saying. They did Solo. Not, it's not clear though. Uh, he just kind of, he's just kind of like, oh yeah, I know languages. I he, he speaks Chewie a little bit. Chewie rock is the technical language. Yes, or something like that. But he's like. But at no point, but that's like not enough for him to like know everything. I don't know. I've always, I just, I've always liked that we all just kind of accepted the fact that he he knew what Chewie was saying. And Chewie, I love what Peter Mayhew and thusly over the past several films, Juana Suatomo has done a, a very good job of filling in Peter Mayhew's very large shoes. Chewie's always been one of those characters that like, emotes well considering he never actually can speak words that we understand but we always know how Chewie's feeling and I think that's part of how Han is playing off of him but also just the body language from the actor yeah it's it's interesting to me that I felt the Chewie roar when Han dies like more than any other yell that we've had in Star Wars Mm mm-hmm their dynamic is so strong, in fact, that they thought they could make a movie around it, which I don't blame either of the actors involved, but that it just did not work. I like with Han and Chewie, even though we only see a little bit of their adventures, I always got this like greater sense that, oh yeah, these have been buddies forever and have this long, epic um, history together. Yeah. And I didn't and- need to know what that history was. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Now, I've got kind of like a subgroup that I didn't really think about, but kind of can be lumped together, which is, for lack of a better term, the stoner duos. (laughs) Yeah? Because there's kind of a... the Only some of them are idiot stoners. Others are just idiots. Uh, Case in point, the great idiots that are the Blues Brothers, Jake and Elwood Blues. Yeah, boy. So that 
They're the best. Oh my goodness. I'll openly admit I only saw Blues Brothers for the first time like two or three years ago. Um mm. because my earliest exposure was a duo that we will talk about next week, I'm sure. Uh Drake and Josh had a yep. Blues Brothers episode where they sing as the Blues Brothers at a talent show at the end. Uh, and I always remember singing Soul Man a lot. And so I was just like, someday I need to actually see the Blues Brothers, which Nickelodeon, do not tell your kids to watch Blues Brothers. That's not okay. Because when I finally watch Blues <laughs> Brothers, that movie's not for kids. No, not at all. It, it's really messed up. <laughs> which also, I know she's great as Princess Leia, but Carrie Fisher in Blues Brothers may be her best performance. It's so great. Um, oh, it, it's fantastic. Uh, but the Blues Brothers, it's it's stupid comedy is so hard to get right. Um, that's why I'm kind of hit or miss with Will Ferrell at times, which honorable mention to Will Ferrell and Mark uh, Wahlberg and the other guys. Yeah. Uh, but stupid comedy is hard to get right. But Blues Brothers, I think, balances that line of stupid and utterly ridiculous with excellent writing incredibly well. Um, if it wasn't for John Belushi, the movie would not work. Case in point, Blues Brothers 2000. Um, but it's just this, I don't know, level of fun, but stupid that really, really works for them. Of like, I don't get how they're able to keep as straight of a face as they do. I, I think the, the epitome of it for me is that final line. When they're like, we've got half a tank of gas, there's cops chasing us, and we're wearing sunglasses, and it's nighttime. Let's go. <laughs> it, they're so easy to get behind because, oh yeah, they're on a mission from Gad. Yeah, we're on a mission from Gad. What are you talking about? And you're just like, yep, go on your mission, good brothers. Which is different than the actual but- good brothers. <laughs> on paper it should not work but it does it's so it's the best it's a, it, we're on a mission from god even even if it means going on a car chase that legit destroys most of chicago it's all right it's chicago but, but hey they ruined a nazi rally so that's all that matters yeah it's it's just an odd movie that i really think works because of the pairing of the main duo now uh, this next two for our idiot stoner duos more or less is kind of a carbon copy of each other, except one I like better than the other one. So um, one gets their inspiration from TV and is the only good SNL movie ever made. Well, except for maybe Blues Brothers, actually. I for- always forget Blues Brothers is an SNL movie. Yeah. Um, I, of course, am referring to... Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. Showing. Wayne's World. (laughs) Party on. Excellent. Uh, This was back in the day when Mike Myers was funny. May his humor rest in peace. Um, Did you watch this movie with us in college, Josh? Um, I don't think so, but I I, I have seen it before. The it bit the that gets that always not. gets me the hardest is the the product placement. Bit. Yes, I always laugh so hard at that. It's oh my god, we will not. It gets me hard every time. We will not cave to corporate sponsors. It just gives me a headache, you know. So when I have a headache, 
I take two Tylenol PMs. That and um, when the the chick's talking to Garth, she's like, hey, let's get out of here. Why? Where are we going? You don't even have a jacket. I I I love I love Garth. I'm I'm not gonna tell you who. I'll leave that to your own brain. But let's just say there's a friend of ours in college that I always just like, oh yeah, that if he was in a movie, he'd be Garth. Well, it's not me, so Oh no. Oh no. I'll, t- I'll tell you know. about it another time, but when, when we first watched it, he was in the room with us, and we told him to his face, and he just was just like, yeah, I can't even deny it. <laughs> like, he knew. Uh, <laughs> but I, Garth is great. Um, I love with uh, Wayne's World, they're aware but not that a camera's always following them. Of like, at mm-hmm. the beginning when their character's intro and Mike Myers' character starts walking one way, and Garth is just like, I don't have anything interesting to say, but look over there and like tries to run away. (laughs) Yeah. That's another one like the Blues Brothers that if the chemistry of the characters don't work, the movie does not work. Also true. Yeah. Um, Because the premise is just ridiculous. Not as ridiculous as the next premise and the characters that I actually like a little bit more when it comes to idiot stoner duos. Uh, the premise so ridiculous of we are failing our history class and need to go back in time in a phone booth with a guy named Rufus. I mean, I, I don't see any problems with that. And, of course, I'm referring to, whoa, Bill and Ted. The early golden days of Keanu before he became the lord and savior of the internet. Um, again, Jeez. I came late to the Bill and Ted party. Uh, even later to the second one. I only watched that last year for the first time. And I actually think I like the second one better than the first one. Uh, but Bill and Ted, to me, is time travel logic that doesn't overcomplicate things because they just throw out the rule book. They're like, this is a comedy. We don't need to bog you down in the dense what-ifs of time travel. Take notes, looper. Of, whoa. We need the keys to the house. Well, what if in the future, we just hide the keys here? That way, when we need them, they'll be here. Look, here's the keys. And I'm just going, you guys are so stupid that you're geniuses. (laughs) I mean, yeah. But they're different stupid than Wayne and Garth. It's like having two Garths, basically. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but that sounds about right. <laughs> but unlike Garth, what I like about Bill and Ted's, especially the more I watch it, is they are the biggest idiots in the world, but that doesn't, they don't let that stop them from anything. Like, they could uh, fail at something 99 times and still be ecstatic to try something that 100th time. I love their like two of the most positive characters in any movie of, well, that could have been so much worse, dude. Most bodacious, Mm -hmm. my dude. But (laughs) that was so gnarly that we got to experience that firsthand, bro him. 
<laughs> just everything they experience is is and the way that they they come across things is it's perfect it's exactly what you need in that kind of movie and again it's another case of if the chemistry doesn't work the movie doesn't work and i'm very excited to see a third one because they've got both keanu reeves and alex winter back because Yes, I know people have been asking for Keanu to come back, but all in all honesty, you can't do it without Alex Winter because he's the other half of it. You can always try and recast, but I don't think the chemistry would be there nearly as much because the movie really works between those two actors being that specific role of... Keanu could have done this a long time ago, but Alex Winter kind of disappeared into nothingness, so it's nice to have him be back, I think, to do this role. Yeah. And getting the original writer's help, too. Because I've done some brief deep diving into the world of Bill and Ted. Uh, The writers of Bill and Ted actually used to do use the characters of Bill and Ted in um, improv comedy clubs. So that's how they knew the characters so well is because they would use those and just stick them in different situations. So that's why Bill and Ted's kind of works because the characters always came first rather than the situation. So that's why the characters are always so consistent and entertaining because the writers had known them so well. Which is is hard to come by in these days. Yes. Um, Now, speaking of a character and duo that's written well, we've got a pair of characters that is over, let's see, probably about 120 years old now and have had... Many movie and TV adaptations. I'll go so far as to say this is the only duo that will be appearing on both our movies and TV list. Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And for all that's holy in this world, I am not referring to the Will Ferrell and John C. Riley version of the characters. What? Uh, just not even Braun Strowman could make me watch that movie. <laughs> and Braun's not even, like, okay in that movie. <laughs> Which, to be Braun's not a good actor, but we are, of course, referring to the Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law version of Sherlock Holmes. Um, confession time. This movie came out okay. in either 2009 or 2010, I believe. Okay. Um, it came out Christmas time. I remember very, very vividly because I remember asking somebody if they wanted to see it. And I think I ended up seeing it with them and some friends. When I saw this movie... I was insistent that it was one of the best movies ever made. Really? I was so on my high horse of Sherlock Holmes is a masterpiece and it's one of the five one of my five favorite movies and it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. I was I was a young, naive and still learning movie fan. I mean, it is good though. Oh, absolutely. I just don't know if I was right to put it on, this is one of the best movies ever made. I mean, it's definitely still like... It's definitely one of the best Sherlock Holmes films ever made. Um, Yeah. And I'll chalk that up to casting, minus Robert Downey Jr.'s at times questionable um, Sherlock Holmes accent. The movie, I think, really, really works because both characters are really aware of what their characters are, this incarnation, and really bring that to the forefront of the chemistry between Downey and Law are really, really good. It's a different take on 
Holmes and Watson we've seen before, but still very reminiscent of things past, but still very much with a Guy Ritchie feel to it. Um, what are some of your memories of Sherlock Holmes and why I'm assuming it would have been on your list? No, oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, just that, that opening scene alone, because of the chemistry between two, both of them, it like you automatically want to see where this adventure goes. Like I just, mm, the, 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 what's, what's the phrase? It's not that it's not dialogue, but just the, <laughs> the, the joking that, and like the, the giving each other a hard time all the way up to the point where they're catching the bad guy. Is that a new hat? Yep. Just picked it up. Yep. <laughs> Is That's what sells me on it, man. It's the chemistry between the two. Cause it, We'll talk about it next after this. It's one of the ones, your late edition. It kind of feels like a duo that we'll talk about next of one of the characters lives kind of in their own little bubble of just being a little bit kooky and their partner, who is frankly just too old for this and is just (laughs) like, I'm just tired of this. Like Jude Law has this great like demeanor throughout the film of just like, I have literally seen everything Sherlock has to offer me. And I'm just too over this. He's poisoned the dog again. I'm just done. And then yet there's still times where, like, Sherlock will do something. And uh, Watson is like, well, of course. Of course he would do that. (laughs) When he, like, he's just like, remember, we have to save our bullets. And he thinks he's behind him, so he just shoots the whole wall. What was that about saving bullets? (laughs) I think... The chemistry between the two of those is why those movies resonate so much with audiences, more so the first one than the second one, and why fans have been clamoring so much for the next one, which eventually will come. Um, Doolittle may have put a halt on Downey's momentum for a little bit, but uh, these movies, I really think, are carried by their duo of uh, Holmes and Watson, and the characters really, really work of the very specific type of Sherlock that they did, the very specific type of Watson feeling, I'm too old for this crap. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's our next duo. Josh, take it away. Who's too old for this crap? I mean, if anybody knows, has listened to the show, you know how much I love uh, Riggs and Murtoff in in the Lethal Weapon series, man. Oh, it's... I I will not sit here and say that Mel Gibson is one of the best actors around, but when he's on it, when he's in a role that is basically his personality, uh, he really shines. <laughs> well, and Danny Glover, of course, is just always too old for this. Danny Glover, the man with the smooth voice. Oh, dude, what a guy! I think what what's I like the second one a little bit more. Um, because of what you just talked about, like you have one guy who's a little too kooky, little out there, but everyone, but he's like got some kind of charm to him that everyone, you know, is kind of like okay with him. Um, and then you have the other character, like he's seen everything that the that the character one has to offer, and he's just over it. <laughs> but he's like, that's also my brother. So if you touch him, I'll kill you. Yeah, based, that's yeah. like any actual like, yes. partnership. Of, they're crazy, but the crazy that I am accounting for. Yes. 
Like <laughs> you, can't, nobody can make fun of my brother except for me. Yeah, basically. Or be like, yeah. if someone talks crap to you on this podcast, I will kill them. But I'll call you whatever I want. Exactly. <laughs> like you could be the most ill-prepared co-host ever, but as soon as somebody else says that, oh, we fighting. <laughs> I mean, because I, I try, at least. <laughs> oh, no, you've gotten so much more prepared over time. Like, when we first started, it'd be like, so, I just looked at the notes right before we hit record. <laughs> I'm like, we're like, literally, do I'm looking up the news stories. As, yeah, as, as I'm talking, as you're looking up notes. So, yes, folks at home, Josh has significantly grown over time. He's also sustained a few less concussions over time, which I'm sure helps. I mean, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, there's been a couple weeks, man, that you've really been out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you got anything else between Riggs and Murtaugh or else we have actually are down to our last duo. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, they're just the, – I think the fact is, of the matter is the duo, duo is so likable that it basically carries over to a random cameo in another Mel, uh, Mel Gibson movie. So I'm looking at my shelf because I do that from time to time. What? No way. And I'm looking at one that I said that Holmes and Watson will be our only one that appears on both our movie and TV list. I think I may have been mistaken. I'm going to make a late addition because while the two live action movies of this franchise may be a little divisive, I think one of the few redeeming spots was the main duo, which is something you absolutely need to nail in Scooby-Doo. Oh, dude. Scooby and Shaggy will be on our list both this week and next week because, holy crap, if you don't think Matthew Lillard is a pitch-perfect Shaggy, you're just lying to yourself. I mean, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's he's it's it's hard to that was always my issue with the with those the original scooby-doo movie live action first live action was because yeah it was weird and it was out there and it didn't quite feel like scooby-doo except for shaggy and scoob and scooby the animation got weird at times um yeah. but that's more of a budget thing the first scooby-doo has this really fascinating um history like behind the scenes issue of like it was supposed to be a hard pg-13 adult oriented dark humor like family guy style which is why it was written by james gunn who did a lot of dark humor at the time but it got changed super super late in the game because um the studio wasn't a big fan of it so they made it more of a family friendly which is why it kind of has this like too dark for kids too childish for adults type vibe because they had to rework a lot of it which is also why the creatures in the movie look so awful is because um, a lot of the budget went to um, CGI elsewhere or reshoots elsewhere of like some scantily clad characters had clothes digitally added onto them and stuff like that. It It's a super wow. fascinating story that people don't often know about the Scooby-Doo movie. Um, and that's why a lot of the characters are over-exaggerated and spoofed up versions almost of the original counterparts like Fred or Daphne is because they were originally supposed to be parody versions of the original um, characters. That being said, while 
The movies themselves may not have aged well over time. Something that has aged pretty well is they at least nailed the dynamic between Shaggy and Scooby. Of Yes. Uh, everyone goes their separate ways, except for Shaggy and Scooby. Those are almost like always the unshakable bond and the the ideal duo. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think, although weirdly enough, the casting in that movie, I would even say is all all around spot on. Like, I, I buy Fred, I buy Daphne, I definitely buy Velma. Yeah, I know some people like to crap on Freddie Prince's Fred. I actually defend what they're going for in the film. He's actually pitch perfect because... Oh, easy. Fred in the original Scooby-Doo is pretty bland and uninteresting. And he's just very one note. And they gave his character a little bit more depth of being kind of more of a narcissist and everything's about me because he always does take the lead in the original series. So it kind of worked out. I, I agree. I think the entire cast is cast really well in Scooby-Doo, but most importantly, that dynamic between Scooby and Shaggy works the best. And yeah. we'll talk again about them because that's a big part of why Scooby-Doo has lasted for so long is the dynamic between a boy and his dog. Now, last up, is a duo from one of, if not the most masterful film or one of the most acclaimed films ever made. I know some people are don't like it as much, but to me, this is one of the best films ever made, The Shawshank Redemption. So, of course, we were talking about Andy Dufresne and Red, Morgan Freeman's character. I don't remember his name. Um, Ellis... Redding, I think? Yeah, I think so. Redding sounds right. Because he's supposed to be Irish. Why do they call you Red? Maybe because it's Irish. Maybe because I'm Irish. (laughs) Which doesn't make sense at all. Well, it does because in the original book, he's a white guy with red hair. That's dumb. So they recast him because, of course, you're going to have Morgan Freeman narrate your movie. Well, why not? Um... Were you initially going to put this on your list, Josh? No. <laughs> I think but it's just again, because like, when I was looking up famous movie duos, I didn't immediately think of Andy and Red, but the more I thought about it, it was just like, yeah, they're kind of the whole crux of Shawshank Redemption and why it works. Oh, absolutely. Because if those two characters don't work, then the movie doesn't work. So they're more or less yin and yang to each other of one is a wrongfully convicted uh, innocent man. The other one actually committed their crimes and is willing to admit to those crimes. Whereas everyone else in Shawshank is like, oh, no, I'm totally innocent. Um, But one of them doesn't lose hope in the prison system and is the long term goal is escaping it. Whereas the other one has resigned to, "Okay, this is my life now. I'm going to be the best at what I do inside the prison. I'm the guy that knows how to get you stuff. Um, and it's nice to see their friendship develop throughout the course of the film and over the years as the movie establishes it to the point that the end of the movie, it's more or less just all about their friendship. Um, how do you view the characters of Andy and Red in Shawshank? Well, cause he definitely, Red definitely seems to have like, I'm not going to say pity, but he sees that Andy is not going to last long in the system if he doesn't help him. And so red in a lot of ways takes him under his wing, even though I don't think Andy necessarily needed it or thought that he needed it at least. 
which taking characters under your wing is literally a recurring theme in Shawshank. Of like you said, Red kind of takes Andy under his wing. Andy kind of takes um, that young blood under his wing, and then mm-hmm. Brooks literally takes a bird under his wing. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to see because that is a theme, yeah, that runs through the film. But I think the big thing is that Red unintentionally strikes a match in in Andy and starts this fire where Andy starts to become really like rebellious. Like that's why he puts on the record on, on, on the prison loudspeaker. That's why he is consistently fighting back because he just wants to feel like a normal human being and not a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Cause he knows that's not who he is. And it's, if I remember correctly, Red is the one that tells Andy first, and then Andy says that later, get busy living or get busy dying. Yes. Or is it the other way around? No, it's it's definitely a Red. I'm pretty sure Red says it first. Because then Andy says it the night he's about to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, which is nice to see. I don't know. There are two different versions of Hope, because Hope is the major theme for... Shawshank mm. of one of them is incredibly hopeful and Andy another one is just like I gave up hope a long time ago because hope is a very dangerous thing in a prison because it's like the Obi-Wan movie you get your hopes up and it only makes the pain that much worse yeah absolutely and being crushed by dashed hopes is is not what you want when you're going to be stuck in a 4 by 4 room for years on end yes but I like that Andy never lost hope, not just in his situation, but also in his friend. Of he always tries to keep um, Red hopeful. Yeah, he always tries to bring the people, the the people around him. But I think that is only inspired because Red befriends him. Otherwise, I think the the sisters take over his soul in kind in the, in that way and kind of crush his spirits. Oh yeah, Andy. They definitely make it a point that he had a rough go of it at first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's about it, unless you got some late ones that no, came to no. you in the, um, out no, of nowhere. I mean, the the big thing is, and I think you you experienced this too, is just to kind of, you know, get the juices flowing. I always like re go on online and read lists that other people have made. Um, uh, for our, our topic, just to kind of be like, oh yeah, okay, I remember that movie, blah blah blah. And some of them, some of the duos that some people were talking about, like uh, like Hannibal and Clarice. That I like, don't count them as a duo. Yeah, exactly. That was on, going to be my I point typically too. think of duos as on the same side working together. Exactly. I, I see. To me, you can't count that. Uh, the other one I, I did consider was uh, Bonnie and Clyde. See, I can't put that on my list because I have not seen Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Ian, I've seen it, but it's, I don't know. Like, I feel like those, that could be any two people. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel necessarily special. It's like, Um, when I think duos, I think dynamic duo. Uh, Batman and Robin, Rocky and Mickey. Which there really hasn't, and I think that's the only other reason why, um, like, there's no Batman or Robin on our our list because there really hasn't been like a good Batman Robin. 
Nope. That's why uh, I want it so bad with these Matt Reeves one. It's just because Robin has been such a big part of the Batman mythos, and we really have gotten that not up to the level that it should be. Absolutely. Uh, well, that'll, that'll about do it for movie duos. Um, what are some of your favorite movie duos? Let us know in the comments below. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you're not already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.